Good morning. Great day. Aren't you glad that you weren't in Hawaii yesterday? Does anybody know what was happening in Hawaii yesterday? If you don't, what was happening was they got a notification on the emergency broadcasting system on their cell phones, missiles incoming. This is not a drill. Take shelter. And that was it. On every, and if you had a cell phone, it's flashing on your phone. And they didn't find out for 38 minutes that it was a false alarm. Can you imagine being, I mean, you, you are making calls. Somebody, I read, somebody tweeted, like, I was eating this disgusting, healthy shake at that moment. And I thought, what am I doing right now? But on a, on a real serious note, people were calling all over, calling their friends and family, saying goodbye. I don't know if I'm going to make it, all that kind of stuff. So somebody will not have a job today. I can guarantee you that. We don't know who it is. Well, they might be paraded out soon, but somebody is not going to have a good day. My goodness. Wow, when things are difficult. And it reminds us of our series, our new series today, called that we started last week called Shalom, a journey to wholeness. Now, shalom is this word that's in a Bible word. It means peace, and we're going to move into that in a little bit of a moment. But in the, the Bible was written in two different languages, primarily. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament uh, written in Greek and translated uh, into from some of it in Aramaic and all kinds of stuff. I won't get into all that. But suffice it to say this, suffice it to say this, that there's two understandings of the word peace. In the Greek understanding, the word peace simply meant a cessation of hostilities, a, a break in the battle, a time when there was no conflict going on. A vacation, an escape, a moment, uh, balancing the struggle until you can get a break, or even more than that, escaping the struggle where you want, if you can't get peace, you quit your job, you quit your marriage, you quit this, you leave that, you get out of the situation because the goal is to have peace, and the only way to have peace is to have an absence of conflict. But the Hebrew idea of peace, the, the Bible understanding of peace is much different than that. The Hebrew understanding is that there was, it wasn't a peace about just a lack of conflict. It was a peace about harmony in the midst of conflict, a harmony in the midst of the battle, harmony no matter what I'm going through, that I tap into something that's a little deeper, a little bit more uh, whole, holy, whole or complete than uh, what I'm experiencing. It's a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what situation I'm walking through, no matter what painful thing I'm in, that I can walk in peace because I tap into something that's a little different than that, a little deeper. Jesus said this, I have told you all these things so that in me you might have peace. And he says, in the world you will have trouble, but in me you can have peace. In other words, Christianity or the Bible doesn't pretend that there isn't difficulties in your world. The Bible doesn't pretend that you didn't yell at your wife. The Bible doesn't pretend that you don't have troubles with your, with your children or that you're not going through a financial issue. It simply says this, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but in me you will have peace. In other words, there's something different, something that's not... Uh, determined by what I, my experience in life or what I'm going through, but it's something that I have because of Jesus. And Jesus said this, or the Bible says this, May the God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put together spirit, soul, and body. And we used these buckets last week, and uh, they, they're simply representing our spirit, our soul, and our body. 
that Jesus intended for us not to just have peace in moments in certain areas of our life, but that in every area of our life that there would be peace or a wholeness. No matter what I'm going through in my body, that I can walk in peace because Jesus said that in me you will have peace. We so often look at one dimension, and if things are going well in our finances or something like that, then we think everything should go well. But often, no matter what's going on here, there's no peace here, so it bleeds over into here. And we work on one dimension. If I could get more money, if I could get healthier, or if I could do something here, and we fail to realize that other things are affecting that. But Jesus did not just come to make your body well. He did not just come to help you feel better. He actually came to change your life from the inside out. I'm going to start preaching soon. Because our spiritual health has a significant impact on our, uh, our soul realm, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, which then impacts how we, the health of our body and what we do with our body. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. You are not just what I see. You are not, I am not just what you see. I am far more complex than that. You are far more complex than a collection of atoms and synapses and electrical impulses and cells. You're much, much more than that. And God sees you as more than a physical body. And in a world obsessed with what you look like and how much you have, the Bible way is much, much deeper than that. The world is so shallow in what, if you look in our social media and stuff, and it's all about this. Look good, have enough, and die happy. But the Bible simply says that your happiness will not be predicated on what you have, what you look like, or what you're going through. That you are a spirit who, lives, who has a soul and lives in a body. And that if one is out of order, it affects every other area. And we said this statement last week that you can't have peace in your life if Jesus only has a piece of your life. You can't have peace or shalom in your life, order and wholeness when Jesus only has access to one area of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you've come to give us peace, Lord. You've come to help us to have shalom and completeness, that in the trouble that we're in, we can walk in peace. Thank you that you give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning in Jesus' name. As many of you know, I grew up in a small town in the interior called Burton, Burton the Cusp, on a large system of lakes called the Arrow Lakes. It's on the southeast corner of the province. It's, it's in a lake that's probably more than 200 kilometers long. And uh, it was a river, got dammed up, and, and this was Site C before Site C ever was. My, my, actually, my uh, grandparents and my parents had to move house because of a flood, because of that dam being built. And I, I didn't say that, that kind of dam, D-A-M is what I'm meaning. But, um, and so we, because of that lake and because we lived around rivers and creeks and all kinds of stuff like that, we had the opportunity to go fishing. Not, not often, not all the time, but we're, we often would go up in the creeks and go fishing and climb around in the creeks, fall in and catch little brook trout. I can remember catching my first fish when I was four years old. I had a stick and a little piece of um, fishing line tied on it, and I just sat there with my worm in Snow Creek and kept doing this and kept doing that and kept doing that. And eventually I caught this little fish, probably undersized. I ate it anyways. I've, I've repented. God forgave me. It's all right. There are still fish in that, in, in that creek. 
But we would also often go to the mouth of the creek and, and do casting and using uh, spoons, uh, red and white. I really liked that one. Caught a lot of Dolly Varden on that. And we'd all, and we would catch kokanee. And did anybody know what a kokanee is? Just a little uh, silver, somebody call, some people call them, or landlocked salmon that stay in. So we'd catch those and all different things like that. But one thing that we did that we didn't, I can only remember one time doing it. It was getting into a boat in, in, in one evening it was, was it, when it was dusk getting towards, towards dark. We got in a boat, and right at the mouth of the creek, Caribou Creek, and we anchored this boat. Um, we didn't have a boat. I don't know whose boat it was. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. And we anchored that boat, and we started to jig. And, and that simply means we had a weight, and there's hooks on it, big treble hooks, and bouncing that weight off the bottom to attract and draw in these fish. And these fish were what we called freshwater lingcod. Some people call them burbot. Uh, they were, and they were big, ugly fish. They only came at certain times up that they would run up the creek, and so you try and get them before they got up there. So we were catching them. We caught a lot of them. There was a lot of us in a boat, and we caught them. And I remember coming home, and whether it was that night or the next morning, we, we were filleting them. And the fillets were awesome, and we were going to have fish and chips with them. It was going to be amazing with six kids. You had to catch a lot of fish to, get, to feed everybody because some of my brothers were bigger than me. They ate all of it before I got there, so you learned how to fend for yourself. In fact, yesterday we were sitting down at breakfast, my wife and I, and she said, you're done. She's about two bites in. I was like, was that fast? Because when you grow up in a large family, you just eat quick because if you have any hope for a second, you've got to get done first. That's a little tip. If you're in a family with large children, that's how you work. That's how you roll. But we got those, and we filleted them. And what was left after the fish was done was this, all these carcasses, the heads, the, the guts, the, all that kind of stuff. And we were left there with a, a big mound of them. And I, and I remember asking my dad, what are we going to do with those? They stink, and they're everything's terrible. My dad said, we got an, I've got an idea. And in our garden, we had, we had about an acre of garden, but we had a row of cherry trees. And we weren't in the Okanagan. We were one valley over to the, to the east. And so we didn't always get quite enough sun and different things. And so everything had to be just right if you're going to get a, a cherry crop. But I remember my dad saying, let's dig around this tree. And so we dug around. We dug deep, and uh, two of them, I think. And, and we poured all these fish guts into there around the tree. And we covered them over. And it was stinky. But I'll tell you what. I, I just went back to my home right there. I tell you what, <laughs> that's where I grew up. <laughs> I tell you what, that that year, those trees grew more than they had ever, and they had more fruit than they had ever had. Because of those fish that were there providing a life source for them that they hadn't previously had, that their soil didn't contain. They had all the potential always to produce fruit, but yet they did not produce fruit despite being a tree, Despite being in the ground, they did not produce the fruit that was their potential because they had not tapped into or weren't able to tap into the life source that they needed. We all have the potential for the fruit of shalom in our life. But many of us are like those trees. We are tapped into something that is deficient. We're tapped into soil that doesn't feed us. We're tapped into a life source that doesn't uh, bring life to us. And we wonder why there's little fruit to our life. We wonder why we just get by, why we don't walk through life with joy and peace and, and the things that the Bible talks about. In fact, we're going to go to a scripture in Jeremiah 17. It says, but blessed. Everybody say blessed. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope 
and confidence. We sang about that this morning. Their hope and confidence. In other words, they have peace. You're going to be blessed. They, and then he gives this analogy. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat. Or they're not worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green. Their leaves never stop producing fruit. So when you read scriptures like this, you have a choice. You can either say, what a great story, not true. Or you say, my goodness, there's something missing in my life because that is not always my reality. Such trees are not bothered by the heat. Some of us are hot and bothered all the time. But when we draw, see, the, look at this. Not bothered. They have shalom. The heat is on. The drought's on. Not worried. They have shalom. When this tree is planted by streams of water, they, the roots go down deep into a source that is not dependent on what's happening in the world around it. It's not dependent on whether the paycheck is big enough. It's not dependent on whether they're getting along with things. It's not dependent on everything working around and whether there's heat in the world, their world, whether things are working out because it's tapping into something that is deeper than and what it's experiencing around it. And all around it could be other trees that are not planted, that are not going deep into another source, that they dry up, they wilt, they don't produce fruit. Because if you're a Christ follower, there's a shalom that God has for you, that you will be not bothered by heat, that you will not worry when life seems to be drying up around you that you will tap in a little deeper to another source that will feed your spirit, man, that will feed you and give you life on the inside that actually then begins to bleed over into the way you think and begins to bleed over into what's going on in your physical body. Too often, though, our shalom is based on externals. When life gets hot, we wilt. When there's a drought that comes, we, well, I'm dying over here. When life gets stormy and a wind comes, we shake. And too often we stay in ruts of anxiety or ruts, ruts of restlessness and ruts of no peace and ruts of, of anger and ruts of frustration and ruts of pornography and ruts of, ruts of, ruts of things that simply are not changing in our lives. But we are made to stay green in every season. We are made to be fruitful in every season. We are made to have shalom in every season. Notice it didn't say there wouldn't be any drought. It didn't say that every day would be easy. It said in the drought time, in the dry time, you will be still green and fruitful and bringing forth life out of you. But here's the thing. We want our lives to have that, but we don't want to change. Turn to somebody beside you. Are you ready? Say, are you ready to somebody beside you? Are you ready? Because the three main reasons that people change are, this is what the studies have shown again and again. First is when you hurt enough. That's when you change. Some people won't change until they hurt enough. Usually through a crisis of some health issue or, or someone walks out in a marriage or different things that, like that, a job loss, a marital separation. Shanda's grandma who's now gone on, Passed away, 
She always said when she smoked, she said, if I ever have a cancer that's related to smoking, I'll quit. And it happened. One day she got bladder cancer and she quit. She changed and she got bladder, when she had bladder cancer. Unfortunately, they dealt with it and she was able to live many, many years on because she didn't smoke after that. She's done. But it took, the hurt was enough. Some of you won't change until you've had enough. When you say, and not that, oh, I have enough to eat. When I have had it, the situation is unbearable. It's not a crisis thing. But you begin to see the possibility of something new. This is often what happens when people are in a marriage where they've had enough and suddenly see the possibility of change with that person over there. There's got to be more. The constant conflict, the incessant stress, I've gotten so out of shape that something has to change. So we've had enough. I've had enough of walking upstairs and being out of breath, and so I've had enough, and so I'm going to do something different. And some people will change in a very positive way when they realize they have enough. When you're able to change because you realize that you have resources you weren't previously aware of. You, have, you see ways to do things that you didn't know to do. And they open your eyes and your perspective to see the possibility that you weren't able to see before. That's why you'll hear when someone goes on some diet and they drop a bunch of weight and then the people around them are like, hey, how did that happen? That's what happens. When you see you have enough. But there's a proverb written over 3,000 years ago that's a timeless truth. And it says this, as a person thinks in their heart, that's how they are. In other words, what you think here is ultimately what you're going to become that everybody sees. You cannot rise above the level of your thinking. Henry Ford, who made the, the Ford Motor Company, found on road dead and fix or repair daily if you own one. But Ford Motor Company, he said, whether you think you can or you cannot, you are right. Because you can never rise above the level of your thinking. That's a Bible principle. It doesn't matter whether you or not something is true. If you believe it is true, that is, determines how you think. And how you think then determines how you act in your body and work things out in your anger and your frustration and yell at people and, and don't do the things you want to do. It, 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 you look at this, if I can just stop the fruit. No, no, we have to go a little deeper. We have to go into what we're thinking. And, not, and we have to look at how we're thinking. But our thinking is actually influenced by what we believe. Deep down in our hearts about ourselves. You see, for many, many years, I, I believed that I was not good enough. I believed that I wasn't acceptable enough. And so I saw a fruit in my life where I overworked. I, I neglected my family over issues that were of no consequence because I so desperately wanted someone to approve of who I was. I was so shy. I say was because God's done a work in my heart. God's done a work over here where I don't have to hide anymore over here. Another story. I need to keep, when, when I believe things inside of me, I'm not good enough, I'll be rejected. It, it led to keeping those closest to me at a distance because I'm, they're going to reject me, so before they do, I'm going to push them away. Some of you do that. It lead, led to me in not attempting new things because I was desperately afraid that if I failed, everybody would see the darkness that I knew was inside of me. 
And some of you struggle with various things that look like that. You lose weight, not because always of a good thing. You lose weight over here because deep down you believe that you're not really acceptable the way you look right now. Some of us watch porn because we have this belief structure that believes I deserve comfort no matter what the cost. I'm pained in here, and I'm going to watch pornography over here so that I can do something to numb the pain that I feel right there because I don't feel loved, I don't feel accepted, or whatever belief that you believe is true. All of us are, have different things and lies that we believe is true. Can I tell you something? You could be deceived and you wouldn't know. It's true. That's what makes deception work. Because if you knew you were deceived, you're not deceived. So if, if you, you could be sitting right where you are thinking, Pastor, preach this to my spouse. My husband needs to hear this. And he saw on the other side, Lord Jesus, open her eyes to her stubbornness and her, I don't know. Because you could be deceived. That's how it works. You don't always know what you know or what you think you know. And there, we try on new clothes that hope that it will help the insecurity that stems from a belief that I'm not good enough. We, we hope that a new relationship will calm the anxiety that we feel where we don't feel unconditionally loved. We hope a promotion or a new contract will help calm the angst that we feel that there will never be enough that we believe. We're discouraged when our perfectionism keeps us from taking a new step because we, we, don't, we believe that failure will make us a failure. Some of us go through situations that are overwhelming, that are more than we can handle, that are, that are bigger than, than any one person can handle by themselves. And the idea of shalom is a fleeting fantasy. But the Apostle Paul, one of the major leaders of the early church, did all kinds of amazing things. But he also did some incredibly dumb things. He persecuted people. He hauled them off to jail just because they believed in Jesus. He had an encounter with God and he was this learned man who then went on to plant churches and to see people healed and to set people free, change the world that he lived in. But he says this in, in, in Philippians 3 and 12, with all these major accomplishments, he said, not that I have already obtained all this, not that I have already arrived at my goal, but I can say those two words with me, but I press on, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says in this place of gratefulness, in this place of where good things have happened in my life, in this place where all the story of my life has been pretty good, he said, I am not going to stop here. I refuse to stop here. I refuse to stop here. I am not going to, uh, not, nothing is going to be left undone in my life because of fear. I'm pressing on. Nothing is going to be left undone in my life because of the past failures. I am pressing on. Nothing is going to be left undone in my future because I had a great victory three years ago. I am pressing on. And he says this, I'm pressing on. I'm not going to quit when things get tough. I am pressing on because he had a revelation. He had a root system that went deeper than the persecution he experienced. He had a root system that went deeper than the trouble that he was walking through. His roots went a little deeper than the average folk. He went down and, and went and, and tapped into a life source that other people were, le were left wondering, how does he do that? And there are people around you that want to look at you and see in you the reality that you are tapping into something deeper, that there is a shalom on your life, that you are moving forward in spite of what is going on. 
I want to see some shalom in my life. I want to see the completeness of what God intended for me for. And I know that many, many, many in this room do as well. But like Paul, let's cry out, I haven't arrived. I have yet, not yet obtained the thing that God intended for me. If you are still alive, if you are still breathing, it's because Jesus still has something for your life to do. There is a great purpose on your life. There is something you were made to do. There are people whose lives you were meant to touch. You are not a mistake. You are not at a dead end in your life. That this day can be a new day as you tap into the reality of Jesus. Today in this room, there are businesses that should be started. Today in this room, there are dreams that should be attempted. Today in this room, there are missionaries that should be sent out. Today in this room, there are millions of dollars that should be made in some business. Because, but somebody has an idea that's trapped behind a, a wall of fear. There are marriages that should be restored. There are movies that should be made. There are songs that should be written and sung. But too many ideas, too many hopes, too much purposes, too many dreams, too many great ideas are locked up in fear, are locked up in insecurity, are locked up in pride and arrogance, are locked up in refusal to look at the reality of our lives. We need the shalom of God, the peace of God. The world needs your God dream to be lived out. Don't wait for someday. Don't wait for the right opportunity and where the suns and the moon and the stars all align and you're saying, it's today. Maybe today is your day. Maybe there's some things you have to do. But begin to pray and believe God to do something amazing through your life. Begin to believe God that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Begin to believe God that your life could be lived large. Begin to believe God that you could do what nobody in your family has ever done. Begin to believe that the future is bright for you because you tap into a root system. And your root system is tapping into something deeper that you're not dependent on the resources of your family line. You are not dependent on whether you've been good enough. You are not dependent on whether you've lived a life of perfection. But you're tapping into something that's deeper and more life-giving than anything that the world could bring you. I'm going to start preaching soon, so careful. Join with Paul. I'm pressing on. I'm not done. I have not arrived. How do we do this? Here's the how parts. Romans 12 and 2 says this. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. But let's say those underlying words together. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That word transformation or transform is what we get our word metamorphosis from. Where a ugly little caterpillar goes into a cocoon and over the process of time comes out as a beautiful butterfly and soars and does things because it's very, the, the definition in the dictionary is it's a change of nature happens. But something changes when you come to know Jesus. What used to be impossible over here, you have a change of nature and you begin to change from the inside out. And what was impossible over here begins to be possible because God is doing a work, Jesus is doing a work inside of you that begins to affect the way you think, let you be transformed. How, how do you transform into a new person? By changing the way you think because then you will change the way you act. It doesn't work this way, it works this way. 
It works this way. Turn to someone and say, I haven't arrived. Come on. They're going to say amen probably. I haven't arrived. I need to change. Colossians 3 and 15 says, let the peace of Jesus rule in your hearts. Let the shalom, let it happen. Romans 8 and 6 says, let the spirit control your mind. And it leads to life and peace. A life of shalom, a life of wholeness first begins with let. Surrender. Bible says in Matthew 5, or Romans 5 and 8 says, Therefore, being made right with God by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. That's where it all starts. Starts with right here. I've been made right, therefore being justified, or just like I had never sinned, justified by faith in Jesus, I have peace with God. And when I have peace with God, it begins to reshape deeply held beliefs that are misshaping the way I think, that are telling me lies about who I am and causing all kinds of issues in my physical body. But it starts right there. It starts right there. See, when we came into, into Jesus, when you come and become a follower of Jesus, you might have heard the term born again. You're given a new nature. You're, you're not just patched up like some old jalopy. You are actually been given a new nature. The, the Bible says, behold, all things have become new. You have been made new. You are being made new. And one day you'll be given a heavenly body, brand new, top of the line. I mean, you, some of you should have said amen. However, even when your spirit is made new, when you are born again, it still needs to be trained and developed. Some of us made a decision for Jesus and have not developed our spirit, man. That affects our thinking. Our thinking has no different. Started out, don't be conformed to the way the world does things. But some of us are still conformed in our thinking because we haven't developed our spirit, man. We have not got strength from the inside to draw upon. Our roots have not grown, gone down deep into a life source that's beyond us. We have just made a decision to turn, but that's all that it's done. And we've stopped right there. And this looks no different than the world around us, even though we have, if you're a Christ follower, a new nature, a new life source, a new place to tap into, a new someone to deal. But the Bible says you, you don't grow from a baby Christian to a spiritually mature Christian simply because of the passage of time. You actually have to grow, just as your body and your intellect must be trained and developed in order for to use them to their fullest potential. So you also must train and develop your spirit, man, so that it can begin to affect the way you think and change the way you live. But it starts here. It starts right there. See, the Bible compares our spiritual growth to a seed, to a building, or to a child. And all of those, each of them, requires active participation. Seeds must be planted and cultivated. Children must eat and exercise. Must stay on their iPad all day. Must eat and exercise if they're going to grow healthy. And buildings. Someone must take out the plants and build them. It takes active participation on God. So even though it's surrender to God, and then God says, okay, we're good. you've surrendered your life to me. That's the starting point. And now I'm going to begin to reshape deeply held beliefs that you have. And there's a, 
There's something I want to do because if you want to change your actions, you must change your thinking. If you want to change your thinking, you must change your belief system. Your belief system is not just by your willpower. It's a revelation of God. It's the transforming power of Jesus working in you to will and to do it according to his good pleasure. It doesn't happen automatically. It must take action on your behalf. If you want to change your action, you change your thinking. If you want to change your thinking, you must change your spirit man. You must grow. Jesus said this. He's going to help you. And then we got three quick things. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. This is Jesus. He said, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In other words, you'll have a lot of shalom in your life. Freely and lightly. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it and learn. Sounds like a whole lot of activity to learn a new way of living from the inside out, the unforced rhythms of grace. Every, the battle you've been avoiding holds the peace that you've been seeking. The battle you've been avoiding, the thing that you haven't wanted to deal with, the thing that you blame on somebody else, the pain, whatever it is, but the battle that you've been avoiding actually holds the peace that you've been seeking. And you're looking over here to change an environment, to change something that happened a long time ago, and you're frustrated with how nothing is changing, and you're saying, if I could just change this or change that, and Jesus says, I want to grow you up. I want to work on you from the inside out. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Because the battle you've been avoiding holds the peace you've been seeking. It's a battle for new rhythms, a battle for a new way of living in a fast-paced society that seemingly has no time for anything. But our light-speed, isolated world is corrosive to our souls. It's destroying our peace. It's destroying our shalom. It's destroying our perspective. It's wrecking relationships because on the inside, our thinking hasn't changed. But new rhythms Learn new rhythms. Learn the unforced rhythm of grace. And from the inside, your spirit man begins to transform the way you think and the way you act. But it starts here. Let God learn. Now I'm going to learn new unforced rhythms of grace. The first rhythm, the rhythm of Scripture. The rhythm of Scripture. I just got to add the rhythm of Scripture into my life. For everything you add, something's got to go, though. That's why change is difficult, because change means loss. Loss of something I'm already due to add something I need to do. Add the rhythm of Scripture in our life. Yeah, I'm too busy and I'm running. And I think, well, then don't complain later that you have no peace in your life. Because Jesus actually has given you a way to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. One of those is the rhythm of Scripture, Hebrews 4 and 12. It's on the screen. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It's the idea of it's sharper than a scalpel. Cutting between soul and spirit. Cutting between soul and spirit. In other words, so you can begin to discern what is just my thought and what is a God thought. How am I being led in my life? Because the Word of God then begins to shape this so then you can look at what's going on here and say, that's a bad thought. That's not the right way. That's a lie that I've been believing is true. That is not the way that I should live my life. Because the Word of God begins to draw a line, a plumb line where you start to see right from wrong, good from evil, things that are good for you, things that are not good for you, and you begin to see a new way of thinking. His Word is alive. It shows me where my thinking is out of line. 
See, because sometimes you might have a belief that God is angry at you, deeply held. In your soul, you'll have shame. And in your body, you will have isolation and, and, and putting people at a distance. You might have a belief that people will fail you. And so in your soul, you have an insecurity. And so you spend your life trying to control people and situations so that you can have some sense of protection and safety. Wouldn't it be great if you worked here and allowed Jesus to begin to change and shift your thinking? Starts with the rhythm of Scripture. And a person will never train his body if you only read a psalm or a proverb every third day. It has to become a new rhythm in your life. You must let Holy Spirit give light to the Scriptures and expound under meaning until the Word becomes a living reality. Change the way you think. But it starts by changing to what you believe. You know, you, you can go, there's, if you have a, 85, something like 85% of Canadians have a smartphone or an iPad or something like that, you could go today onto version, go to the App Store, whatever your device, you search version in the App Store, there are tons, and look for a, a reading plan that works for you. They're organized by all kinds of things, by how you feel, what you're working through, a struggle you're going, by Bible, like all kinds of things. Or you could go to horizonfam.ca, you've seen that website name a lot, horizonfam.ca, and click on a Bible plan and join with 49 other people as we read together over another two weeks and join right in. But if you don't change the rhythms of your life, you won't change your life. Because the, the battle you've been avoiding holds the peace that you've been seeking. But the battle is right here. It's not over here with your spouse or your boss or your schedule. The battle is right here in your belief structure. And then there's a rhythm of listening prayer. Jesus said he calls his own sheep by name. Look at this powerful thing. And he leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. Not his word, not his reading, not nothing of that. His voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And they hear it, they listen, and they follow me. Some of us aren't. You see, the Bible has all kinds of great principles in it, but it will not tell you what person to marry or if you should be married. It will not tell you what to do to get out of the situation you're in. You need Jesus to speak details into your life. And the Bible says that if you're a follower of Jesus, He speaks. And some of you are hearing from God and you're not recognizing it. If you've been sitting in a service and you've listened to a preacher or online or anything like that, and you feel like, man, that guy or that woman is speaking to me. What she said is like right to me. That's because the Holy Spirit is like, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you. Or some of you have been driving along and suddenly someone's face comes to your mind and you're like, oh my goodness, what am I? I just can't stop thinking about them. And So maybe you've learned to, I've got to pray for them. That's Jesus speaking to you. It's Jesus speaking to you. My sheep hear my voice. But stillness and quietness, because I've learned this, that you actually have to shut up to hear. I've had enough times when my wife has said, called me and said, Craig, could you bring home some milk and bread and butter? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm busy. I'm in something. Then you get to the store, and you're like, what did she say? So you buy like 10 things, hoping that one of them, you'll hit it. Just like $100 worth of groceries, and you, did, and you got one of the things that she asked for. But they didn't listen. I think sometimes that's how it is in our life with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get into situations and we have all this stuff we don't need and all situations we shouldn't be in because we just need to listen. And we can teach you how to listen to that on it. We have a Hearing God course coming up beginning 
on the 30th of this month where you can do it. It's all, go to groups on our Horizon fan. Christine Kane says this incredible time, do not, or this incredible word, do not forsake quiet time with God because the truth you store up in silence will come back to you in a time of storm. The truth you store up in silence will come back to you so you can still have shalom in a time of storm. Listening prayers. Not ATM prayer. God, I need this, 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 and I got to go. But God actually wants to speak to the details of your life. He's alive. He's present. His Holy Spirit can transform you. And if you don't know if you don't know how to recognize God's voice to you, we'd love to help you do that. All right? Train you how to do it, hearing God. And finally, the rhythm of community, and we'll close with that. I love Hebrews 10 and 24. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on. When you're discouraged, when your emotions and your experience have you down, when you don't feel like praying, when you don't know what to do, you have people around you, the rhythm of community. The Christian life is not meant to be done alone. No life is. And so as a Christian, we get to do life together. We get to encourage one another. We get to lift one up. And sometimes people are in a crisis that could be solved by friends. And not because the friends do anything, but sometimes just because a friend says, you're going to make it. That storm, God still loves you. He has not abandoned you. I've seen him do it before, and he's going to do it again. He's with you. Don't quit. Don't quit now. Stand up. Get on your feet. I'm going to hold you up. We're going to pray together. We're going to love you until you feel loved again, until you believe again, until you have hope again. I'm going to hope for you. The rhythm of the scripture, the rhythm of listening prayer, and the rhythm of community. We grow. We want you to help you do that. Find community. You can go to horizonfam.ca and find groups. They're all sorted there. You can find a list at the Welcome Center. Find a group. Right after the service, we're going to have Grow Track to help you find your purpose because we just believe that we're better, we're better together, that the world is better when the people of God stand and find their place in Jesus and begin to, out of a place of shalom, of roots going down deep into the love of God, are changed and transformed from the inside out. Stand to your feet. We're going to pray. Just close your eyes. I'm going to pray this scripture over you. But blessed are those. Just close your eyes and receive this. This is a picture of what God wants to do in your life. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. God, you're my hope. God, you're my confidence. But they are like trees. Put your name there. Craig is like a tree planted along a riverbank. My roots reach deep into the water. And I'm not going to be bothered by the heat. I am not going to be worried by long months of drought. I'm going to stay green. And I'm never going to stop producing fruit. That's God's shalom for my life. I just want to quickly, if you've never made Jesus forgiver and leader of your life, if you're not, have never, if you know you're not right with God, just throw your hand up real quick and we're going to pray for you. The first battle to be settled is the one where you're battling God. Jesus loves you. Give his life for you. Just raise your hand. We want to pray with you. All right. Amen. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you that 
in every situation, in every season, that you're teaching us to live from the inside out. Lord, you're teaching us that we can have shalom in the midst of whatever season we're going through. I pray your blessing over each one, Lord, as we have new rhythms of scripture, new rhythms of listening prayer, new rhythms of community. In the strong name of Jesus, amen and amen. God bless you as you go. We're going to sing us out, but you're free to go.